That's what he, he, wants, he wants you to take that home today. There's so many in here. We're coming in, and it's, we know what it's like outside. Like it's Nebraska in the middle of January. But you come in here, and there's, just a, there's a warmth, and there's a fire, and there's joy. There's an impartation of joy in this house today. If you guys got your Bibles, you can open up with me. Genesis 28, verse 10. We've been talking about what it means to be planted in God's house. And I've just been led these past few weeks to go back and look at the very beginning in Genesis. Before what we came to know as the temple, the tabernacle, before even the Ark of the Covenant, all the way back in the very beginning of Genesis, we we have the beginning stages, the establishment of his house. And today for us, when we talk about the house, we, we talk about his church, the body. And so our prayer is that in 2024, that people would choose to be planted in his house. And we've been praying that and believing that over people because of what it says in Psalm 92. I know, I told you to go to Genesis. I'm, I'm flipping the script here. Go to Psalm 92. I'm just going to give you the very end of Psalm 92. Psalm 92, verse 12. This is what it says. It says, the righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. He wants you to flourish. Some of you, you don't always feel like that. You feel like you're struggling and you you feel like you're just grinding every day and nothing feels like you're flourishing. Nothing feels like you're being established. You gotta ask yourself today, am I planted? Am I actually planted? Do you know what it means to be planted in his house? to be under the cover of his house, his authority. Because there's protection, there's provision in the house. There's flourishing that takes place in the house. There's power in the house. If you haven't experienced the power of the Holy Spirit and what he's doing, I'm telling you, there is power in his house. And when you get planted in his house, you begin to see and experience his power. There's miracles that take place in his house. Miracles still happen. There's miracles in this room. Some of you, you, you don't even know about. I, sometimes I get to know about the miracles a little bit ahead of time. People trust me with that because they, they know, like, oh, he's a pastor. He won't blab my secret. But I know there, there's already miracles in this house that people are going to find out about and people are going to testify about months from now. And people are going to be like, that's God. That's God's hand on their life. And I'm telling you right now, there are miracles sitting in this house, this room that some people don't even know about. There's power when you're planted. There's power in his presence. When you are in his house, you are planted in his presence. We put his presence before everything. Every place we go, his presence dwells within us, but there is something powerful about when you come into contact with his house, other believers carrying his presence. There's power in his presence. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. I don't know about you, but when I'm 80, 90 years old, I want to be fresh and flourishing. I don't want to be just barely making it. I don't want to be just trying. I don't want to be sitting there at 90 just praying, God, take me now. No, no, no. I want to be fresh and flourishing when I'm 90. I want to still be producing. I'm not looking at retirement. And And it's nothing against people that retire. Retirement's great. Like, enjoy retirement. But like, I still want to be producing fruit for the kingdom. And you can do that in retirement. Some of you, when you step into a season of retirement, I'm telling you, you might be stepping out of your job, but you're stepping into a season where you can be fresh and flourishing and producing fruit for the kingdom. Maybe you spent your whole life investing in some job and it felt like a grind to you at times, but I'm telling you, if you'll be planted in his house in 2024, you have something to look forward to in retirement. Because you're going to be fresh and flourishing because you're planted and you're going to be producing fruit that's everlasting. You're not just going to be given a temporary piece of, uh, piece of real estate or, or money or whatever it is that you think you've been working for and grinding for all these years to just kind of hand off to your kids. That, that's temporary. It doesn't last. No, no, no. You can be producing eternal fruit. And that's what he wants you doing. But you have to choose to be planted in his house. That's what this all comes back to. You can bear fruit in your old age. You can be fresh and flourishing. 
to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Now let's go to Genesis 28. We've been looking, last week we looked at the story of Jacob and Esau. And Esau, he traded his birthright and his blessing for a bowl of soup. That's why we fast. So we won't give up the birthright and the blessing to feed the flesh. That's what he was doing. He was hungry. He was starving. He, he said, I'm going to die if I don't eat. He sounded like a four-year-old, right? Like, I'm going to die if I don't eat. No, you, you can miss a meal. You'll be fine, kid. You know, you're not going to die if you miss one meal. But that's how he felt in this moment. And we trade, we trade our birthright and our blessing as believers because we choose to feed the flesh instead of feed the spirit. And so when we do a, a, a corporate time of prayer and fasting, we do it here at the beginning of the year, and then we'll do one again in September as we begin the, the fall season. But as we do this, it's a corporate fast. And some of you, you might be out there, and you might be saying, I don't feel led. You know, I, I, you know I, God didn't tell me to do that. Or if, if God led you to be planted in this house, then I'm telling you he's led you to join us in a corporate fast. Okay? It doesn't have to all look the same. We, we tell people that all the time. There's lots of different forms of fasting. You, you can get, that's where I would tell you, we, we tell people, now listen to the Holy Spirit for what he's telling you to fast from. If you're planted in this house, now everyone's called. If you're in this house and you're planted, everyone's called to join the fast. Then you go to the Holy Spirit. Some of you, you're just finding this out this week, and that's okay. There's seven days left. You can join us for this last half. And I'm telling you, he's going to bless you. He will. So this is where you go to the Holy Spirit and you say, what is it that you want me to fast from so that I can spend more time with you, listening to you, following your voice, learning your voice, reading your word instead of eating the bread of this world? I want to eat the bread of life. That's what we do when we fast. We turn and we lean into him and to his presence. So that when it comes down to these moments in life, where there's a choice to make to feed the flesh or to feed the spirit, to follow the flesh or to follow his word, that we'll choose to follow him, that we'll choose to follow his voice and not the voice of our flesh, not the voice of our pride. That's why we pray, because when we pray, we kill pride. When we fast, we kill the flesh. And when we give, we kill greed. That's why we do these things. And so even some of you, this might be the first time when Nate was telling you about giving. And you you might come from an experience where you're like, churches just want money. No, no, no. God wants your money because he wants your heart. And he knows if you won't give that up, you won't give anything up. He makes it so easy and simple. He says, just give me one tenth. Trust me with it and trust that I can do more with that and you can do more now because you've trusted me and you're going to flourish in a way that you've never flourished before. Trust me. It builds your trust and your relationship with him. It will increase your faith. Some of you, you, you've been praying during this season of prayer and fasting, God, increase my faith. I just have low faith. And he's saying, I've given you one of the easiest things ever. Just trust me with one-tenth. And you're like, no, 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 no. I don't want to increase my faith that much. I'm telling you, try him. Try him for these next seven days. Try him for these next 10 days and give him that one-tenth and see how he shows up and delivers and grows your faith. He will increase your faith in that season. In fact, you'll see him provide and do things and you'll start to be like, this doesn't make any sense. This can only be from him. This is of God. Trust him. Because we all have a choice. You can be Jacob or you can be Esau. Don't sacrifice your birthright and your blessing for a bowl of soup. Genesis 28, verse 10. Now Jacob went out to Beersheba, and he went toward Haran. So he came to a certain place, and he stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place, and he put it at his head. And he lay down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven, and there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. As you enter into prayer and fasting, I've already heard from other people in this church, you'll start to notice God begins to give you dreams. 
God begins to show you things. I've, I've already heard testimonies of people sharing some of their dreams and the way God is speaking to them in this season. He still speaks through dreams. Look what it says in Acts 2. Look, what, look when he quotes uh, from Joel. He'll, he'll give your sons and daughters dreams. They'll prophesy. That's for us today. And behold, the Lord stood above the ladder, and he said, I am the Lord, God of Abraham, your father and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west, to the east, to the north, and to the south. In you and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. That's a promise. I will not leave you. In every moment, he is still with you. He will not leave you. Even in those moments where it feels like he's quiet and he's far and he's distant, I'm telling you, draw near to him. He will not leave you. He has not left you. If you'll draw near to him, if you'll come back, he'll draw near to you. He doesn't leave. That's a promise. That's his word right there. Sometimes we're like, God, where did you go? And he's saying, no, 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 you moved. You went chasing after the bowl of soup. You stopped chasing after me. Prayer and fasting is a time of realignment. It's a time to get back on course. Sometimes we drift. When we come back to a season of prayer and fasting, it's a time for us to realign and get set back onto course, get set to true north. True north is God's word. If you ever get lost, right, what are you supposed to do? In Boy Scouts, you got to find true north. And then everything else is easy. Now you know where you're going. If you ever get lost, if you ever start to drift spiritually, get back to the Word. This is our compass. This is our guide right here. Get back in the Word. He'll guide you. We'll keep you wherever you go and we'll bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. If he said it, he's going to do it. Even if it takes 5, 10, 20, 30, 40 years, and you're like, it still hasn't happened yet. You said you were going to do this. He, he might give you a word, and you might be like, man, you've got to hold on to that word. You've got to hold on to that promise. But there's going to be a lot of moments where the time is going to seem like it's too long, and you're going to be tempted to just go and say, no, 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 it's not happening the way I thought it would. I, I need to make my own way. That's the temptation. There's so many times where he's, he's told us something, he's spoken something to us, he's showed us something in his word, and you're like, you're believing for it, especially in this season of prayer and fasting. You're believing for it. You're believing for the miracle. But if it doesn't happen in the time frame that you thought it was going to, or exactly the way you had planned out in your mind, sometimes the miracle looks a little different than what we thought it was going to look like. We get tempted to try and make the miracle happen on our own, to try and make our own way. And we see that through so many, through so many stories in the Bible. There's so many people, so many times where, where God has said something. I, I even, <laughs> I think of Abraham. Abraham and Sarah. God told them, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless your people and you're going to have a child. And when they didn't have a child right away, eventually Sarah, she gave her maidservant to Abraham and said, well, this is how we can have the child. They tried to make their own way. And so Abraham and Hagar, they gave birth to Ishmael. That wasn't what God had promised. That wasn't what God had said. There's the perfect will of God and then there's the imperfect will. God can still use the imperfect, but it would be better if we would just walk in the perfect will of God. And that's how we have to learn to walk and learn how to listen and discern his voice as a church. That's another thing we do through a season of prayer and fasting. We lean into his word so we can get lined up with the perfect will of God. And then we begin to discern his voice with his word. And so if you're hearing something, if you believe God is saying something to you, but it doesn't match up with his word, then I would tell you that's not from him. That's the test. If it doesn't line up with what it says in Scripture, you can throw it out. Discern it against his word. Discern it in community with other believers. Discern, learn how to discern and listen to his voice. But I'm telling you, he is speaking. And if you'll quiet yourself, 
If you'll take time away from technology and movies and, and music and sound and everything that we try to consume our lives with in this world and stay busy and loud around us because we don't want to deal with what's on going on inside of us, but if we would just quiet ourselves and listen to his voice, we'd begin to hear that still, small, quiet whisper that Elijah heard on the mountain. You can hear his voice. He is speaking to you. Learn how to listen to him and to walk with him. Verse 16. Then Jacob, he awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. This is the house of God. The house of God is an awesome place. The house of God is a place where miracles happen, where his presence manifests, where we see him show up every week. We see signs, wonders, and healings. We've seen it in this church. Sometimes we have to remember that. Sometimes we lose sight of that, especially in the winter. In the winter, all we can see is, I mean, we just get kind of down, right? Like, we just kind of see, we look outside and we're like, I don't want to leave, I don't want to do anything, and we forget. No, 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 we need to get to the house. Because in his presence, that's what the house is all about. We need to get back into his presence. In his presence, miracles happen. He shows up. It's a miracle that we get to speak to him. It's a miracle by the work of the cross that we can have a relationship with him, that we can speak to him and he can speak to us, that we can learn to listen to his voice. That's a miracle. Learn to look for him. Then Jacob rose early in the morning and he took the stone that he had put at his head and he set it upright as a pillar and he poured oil on top of it. He anointed this spot. And he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of that city had been Luz previously. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I'm going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set as a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. He establishes a place of worship. He establishes God's house in this place. This is a beautiful moment. He's establishing a place of worship to God. He says to him, if you, If you will do these things, if you, if you will walk with me, if you will bring me back to this place. You see, he he was out on a journey. He'd received the birthright and the blessing from his father. And this journey, this is the very beginning of it. He's out on his own. And he's on his way back to his parents' homeland, his parents' territory where they're from. And he's on a mission to find a wife because you can't fulfill the blessing of blessing all the peoples of the earth through your seed without a wife. He can't do this on his own. You've probably taken biology. You understand how this works. All right, okay, we're good. So let me show you something here. Uh, Genesis 26 Go back a little bit. Genesis 26, 34. Here's why. Here's why he's been called. Here's why he's out on this mission. Here's why he received the birthright and the blessing. 26, 34. When Esau was 40 years old, he took as wives Judith, the daughter of Biri, the Hittite, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, 
and they were a grief of mine to Isaac and Rebekah. They were idol worshipers. They worshiped other gods. They worshiped idols. Go to 27, verse 46. Jacob's received the birthright. He's received the blessing. Rebekah said to Isaac, I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. Those are the Hittite daughters. If Jacob takes a wife of the daughters of Heth, like those who are the daughters of the land, what good will my life be to me? These were the women that were close. They were convenient. He didn't have to travel far. He didn't have to leave. Esau just... What did Esau do? He followed the flesh, right? He saw something and he took it. He saw something he wanted it. He saw something he desired it. He was led by the flesh. And so he gave up the birthright and the blessing. He saw these women, these idol worshipers. They were near. They were beautiful. He said, I I want them. I need wives. I I want that. And so he took them. Rebecca has something different in mind. She doesn't want that for her son. Some of you in here, you're raising kids in this house. I'm telling you, start to pray and start to invest in having these conversations with your kids about the kind of people you want them to marry. Teach your kids to not be led by the flesh. Teach your kids not to be led by their eyes, by what the world sees, by what the world says. No, no, teach your kids to love what God loves. Teach your kids if you got a son, teach your kid to love women someday. Well, we're not women, one woman, all right? There you go. That's something you got to teach also in this world. There's a lot of things we got to teach in this world that I didn't think, you know, we'd ever have to teach kids. Uh, teach them what it means to love a woman after God's own heart, to chase after a woman who desires God more than she desires him. Yeah, there we go, front row. We've got the youngins up here in the front row. I like it. I need that. we got to come into agreement with God's word together, church. And so if you're coming into agreement, that's all you can, you can, you can say amen. You can say, yeah, preach. You know, all we're doing is coming into agreement with God's word. Because this is a, this is a team effort. This is a family. And so I'm telling you, we're going to raise kids in this house that are going to marry other kids in this house. Kids that love Jesus more than they love that person. We're going to raise kids in this house that love the Lord more than they follow after their flesh. They want to follow the Spirit. They want to listen to His voice and not the world's voice. They're going to do what He says and not what the world says. That's what the house is all about. There's a blessing when you're planted. When everything else is going crazy around us in this world, man, people are going to look at the house and say, that's that's different. The house becomes an ark. What was the ark? The ark was salvation. Noah kept warning people, there's a flood coming. Repent and turn back. He was a prophet. But when the day came and nobody turned, they just called him crazy the entire time. Some of you, you're in the house right now and it feels like people on the outside of the house are calling you crazy. They're calling you a bigot. They're calling you ignorant. They're calling you whatever. They're saying you're this and that. No, no, no. When the floods come, when the chaos breaks out around, guess what? We serve the God who destroys the authority of chaos. Chaos doesn't belong in his house. No, no, no. This is a house of peace, church. This is a house of his peace. It's a peace that surpasses understanding. And I'm telling you, they're going to begin to look and see that this is an ark for the world that is drowning out there. And people are going to come knocking and people are going to come banging. This year, I'm prophesying, this year is going to be a year that the ark is filled. People are going to come, they're going to come looking for something because they see what's going on out in the world. And they want the hope and the peace that you, that our church has here in his house, in his presence. People want that. Yeah. There we go, church. We're waking up a little bit. We're warming up this morning. Just give God a hand for a second. Just give, we got to get it. Come on. He's good and he's worthy. He's so good. The church is an ark. Hold on to that this year. That's a word for this year. This place, his house is an ark. An ark and a house, the words actually in Hebrew are very similar. There's a similar structure in how those words look and are made. His house is an ark. Oof. 
Here we go. Rebecca said to Isaac, I'm weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob takes a wife of the daughters of Heth, like these who are the daughters of the land, what good will my life be to me? That should be our attitude. What good is my life if I can't even raise my kids to know right from wrong? To know a woman after God's own heart. To be able to discern wisdom from the wisdom of this world. Then Isaac called Jacob, verse 28. And he blessed him and he charged him. Give your kids a charge. Give your kids a charge. You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. You've received, he says, look, son, you've received the birthright. You've received the blessing. It was meant for Esau, but it's been passed on to you. I'm giving you a charge, son. Give your kids a charge. You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. You're their kids. Don't just say, you know, just, just do whatever feels right. You know, you're 18, like, just follow your heart, you know, just whatever you feel. If that's the girl you love or if that's, you know, the, the guy you love. No, no, no. He says, don't marry from the land. You're going back home. You're going to find the right kind of woman. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may be an assembly of peoples and give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you, that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. So Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padan Aram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel the Syrian, and the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. He gave his son a charge. Give your kids a charge. Challenge them. Sometimes we go too light. We're just like, oh, they're just kids. They're too young. No, no, no. Give them a charge. Challenge your kids. Over here today, I, my son Maverick, uh, it was just me and him today, uh, steps on volleyball duty with Harper, and they're, they're doing that right now. And so I, I got Maverick over there, and he's kind of sitting. He's playing with some toys. And, and I, I just I tell him at one point, hey, hey put that down and just... It, to give your kid a charge doesn't mean you've got to come in with a hammer. Like, what, what's the shepherd do? The shepherd leads the sheep. You're the shepherd of your family. And you love the sheep. Love the sheep. Your kids are your sheep. Love them and guide them. The shepherd's staff, it, it was meant to guide the sheep, to pull them back in. And, and so I just, I, I just kind of gently said, hey, man, just, I, I sat down with them because we had driven here today. And as we were driving here today, we saw this beautiful sunset. And I, I just sat down with them and I said, I just want you to stand up and join me in worship. Like, just, I know you can read. Like, you're doing great in school. Like, that's great. You're passing all the classes. You can read. Just, just start to read the words and just sing them out to God. He's like, I don't, I don't know. I was just like, I was like, do you remember that sunset we saw as we were driving? He's like, yeah. I was like, God made that. Like, he's worthy of worship. Just start to have these little moments with your kids and, and challenge them and give them a charge and bless them. Don't come in with the hammer. I mean, there's going to be times where you got to bring the hammer. But sometimes we're too quick to go to the hammer instead of just using the shepherd's staff and just guiding and correcting and challenging. Husbands with your wives, as you lead your wife spiritually, some of you in here in this season, you're just now learning how to lead your wife spiritually. Nobody's ever taught you. Nobody ever taught me. And I just was kind of just guessing sometimes. But these last couple of years, he's been teaching me, no, 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 you're the head. You're the authority. You're the spiritual protection, the spiritual covering of your family. And he's just been showing me things and teaching me things. And at first, I, I was probably coming on, you know, too strong. Like, oh, we got to do this. We got to do this. And, we, and he's, he's had to help change and shift my language. Sometimes we have to learn how to shift our language. If we keep doing and saying the same things and it's not working, it's not bringing the change or the transformation we know God wants to bring, and the conversations we're having, whether it's with our wife or with a friend or with a coworker or with our kids, start to look at the language you're using and ask the Holy Spirit, would you reveal to me better language to use? And he's been revealing that to me these last couple of years, how to change my language. Husbands, don't come in with the hammer with your wife. No, no, no. You're a shepherd. Lead your family 
and gently correct. And sometimes you just got to lead by example. You just got to lead in those tough seasons. There's tough seasons where it feels like, man, there's just a disconnect and, and things aren't going. We're not going in the same direction right now. Sometimes all you can do is just walk with him and just trust that he's going to work out whatever needs to be worked out. And then there's some wives in here, and, and you're just wishing. Like, you're wishing and hoping and praying, I wish my husband would lead me. Like I, and you're even kind of looking around at other couples in the church, and you're just starting to, this is a prophetic word for some of you, you're even starting to just kind of get a little bitter and a little resentment and saying, oh, I wish my marriage looked like that, or I wish, I wish my husband would do this, or I wish my wife would do this. And, I, and I'm telling you, stop looking at these other places and, and just look at the land where you're planted. Because your marriage, where you're planted, that, that is your home, that is your house, and you're called to steward and cultivate that place. Begin to invest into that place. Take care of that land and stop looking at other people's land and stop wishing and dreaming like, oh, I, I wish it looked like that or I wish it looked like that. Look at God's word and he'll give you a picture of what it should look like and what you should look like. Too often in our marriages, we look to the other person and we can see every fault and we can see every flaw and we say, you need to correct this, you need to correct this and it's really easy for us to just go down a list and start saying this to our spouse. But I'm telling you, you need to look inward before you look outward. And you need to let the Holy Spirit do a work in you before you can help bring a word to anyone else. That's not even just for marriage, that's for everyone. You need to let him do a work in you before you can help anyone else receive what he's got for you today. Women, I'm going to give you another word. I've just noticed this these last few weeks in, in just different conversations I've had. There's a lot of women that are walking with God, and they want their husband to lead, and, and they, they keep saying this phrase. I've heard it multiple times in multiple areas. And they keep saying this phrase, I'm trying to let him lead. You have to change your language. Because I'm telling you, just by you saying that, like the, the three times I've heard it, they're frustrated and they're kind of angry and they're like, I'm, I'm trying to let him lead. You know? You, you have to change your language because what your language tells me is that really you believe you're the leader. Just replace your husband with God in that situation. Say that same phrase and say, I'm trying to let God lead. You think you know more than God? You think you know more than him? That sounds like Job, right? When God like comes at Job and he starts telling him, oh, did you make this? Did you create this? Did you make the mountains? Did you make the oceans? Did you do any of this? And Job's just like, oh, shoot. No, no, no. God establishes all authority. And in Ephesians, he gives us a picture of marriage, and he shows us what the home should look like, and he establishes the husband as the head of the wife. Now, we walk together in unity, and we work together in unity. But women, if, that, if that's you, I'm telling you right now, you've got to become the kind of sheep that can take correction because that correction is meant as protection. And husbands, when you're coming in with a word, when you're coming in with an encouragement and you're saying something, you need to come at it with love and you need to come at it and you need to make sure you've listened to the Holy Spirit also and you're receiving because once again, if you're not receiving inwardly, you can't help anybody outwardly. If you're not receiving from him, if he's not your covering, if you're not submitted or planted in his house, then you're not going to be able to lead spiritually in your own house. It's all about being undercover. Once we get out of the cover that he establishes, there's rebellion and chaos. That's why there's protection in this house. Because the leaders of this house that God has established as leaders, we choose first and foremost to submit to God's voice. And we as leaders in this house, we've also chosen to be under the leadership of other pastors. That was a foreign concept to me until about two and a half years ago. 
I, when we first started this church, I was like, oh, this is great. I'm, you know, I'm out of, you know, the authority I was under before, and I can just be my own authority. And I, you know, I'm just like, I've always had a rebellious spirit to me, and I struggled with authority. But God's been teaching me in this season that, that authority that he establishes is not a burden, it's a blessing. And that if we would choose to submit and trust that authority that he establishes in our lives, that there's a blessing in that. And so he's been teaching me that in this season. And we have pastors that oversee Steph and I. They're pastors from Lincoln. Uh, they, they pastor a church called Mercy City. If you're ever in Lincoln, if you've got family in Lincoln, I would tell you, send them to that church. If they don't have a church, if they're not connected anywhere, tell them, go to that church. They'll be blessed. God's hand is on that church. That church has been a blessing to our church. We've received so much spiritually because of our connection to them. The blessing flows. When you choose to be under spiritual covering, there is a blessing of the anointing of his presence and his Holy Spirit that flows down. But when you get out of that spiritual covering, there's a dam that happens. Everything gets clogged up. Everything, nothing is, when nothing seems to flow, check your heart and ask, am I actually submitted under spiritual authority? And so I would just come back to that phrase again, that phrase of I'll let you lead. This can be applied in any area of life. Would you ever say that to your boss? I'm trying to let you lead, but you kind of suck at it. You know, (laughs) you're really bad at it. You know, it's like, that's what that implies. It's like, I know more than you. I I could do your job better. But has God established you as that authority? Has God put you in that place? No. No. So you need to be faithful in the places that he establishes you and he puts you. And guess what? If you're faithful in the places he places you, I'm telling you, there is promotion that will happen. He will raise you up. But you got to be faithful in those moments and you got to understand, right now in this season, I'm not the authority. This is the authority. And all authority is established by God. And so if I don't trust the authority that's placed over my head in this stage of life, I'm not trusting God. There's some people in here, you got to work through that today. This might be a moment where you need to just, you need to have a moment of repentance. You need to just say, Lord, I repent. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for not trusting the authority and the structure that you've established in my life. And you need to have a moment of repentance today for that. Honor the authority that he establishes you. All right, worship team, you better come up. We're going to do part two next week. (laughs) I got a whole other sermon here, man. We'll keep going here for a minute. Yeah, we got more to do. All right, as we're closing out here, Jacob He's on this journey to find his wife, to find the right kind of woman. Genesis 29. So Jacob, he he goes back. He gets to the homeland, and he meets some shepherds, and uh, he's talking to them, and he says, hey, I'm looking for Laban. And uh, and they're like, well, you know, here comes, uh, let me see here, verse 6. They said, oh, well, look, here comes his daughter right now. His daughter Rachel is coming with the sheep. Then he said, look. It is still high day. It is not time for the cattle to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go and feed them. But they said, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and they have rolled the stone from the well's mouth. Then we water the sheep. Now, while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. And it came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and he rolled the stone from the well's mouth and he watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted, I know it's a little forward for a first date, you know, he just went right after. And he lifted up his voice and wept. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's relative and that he was Rebekah's son. So she ran and told her father. Then it came to pass when Laban heard the report about Jacob, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him, and he brought him to his house. So he told Laban all these things, and Laban said to him, Surely you are my bone and my flesh, and he stayed with him for a month. 
Verse 15. Then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what should your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were delicate, but Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. In the Old Testament, saying Leah's eyes were delicate was like saying she had a nice personality, okay? I know, I, that's their words, not mine. He didn't have eyes for Leah. He had eyes for Rachel. She was beautiful of form and appearance. Verse 18, now Jacob loved Rachel. So he said, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. And Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to another man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife for my days are fulfilled that I may go into her. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. Now it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to Jacob. And he went into her. Obviously at these wedding feasts, there's a little bit of wine, a little bit of drinking. It was dark. Jacob did not realize what had happened. He had switched Rachel for Leah on him. And Laban gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as a maid. So it came to pass in the morning that behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, what is this you've done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? And Laban said, it must not be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Fulfill her week and we will give you this one also for the service which you will serve with me still another seven years. Then Jacob did so and fulfilled her week. So he gave him his daughter Rachel, his wife also. And Laban gave his maid Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as a maid. Then Jacob also went into Rachel and he also loved Rachel more than Leah. And he served with Laban still another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. So Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, The Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. Then she conceived again and bore a son. And said, Because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, Now I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she stopped bearing. (laughs) That's so good. Do you see the names? Look at those names, what they mean. Everything was all about Jacob. Everything was all about her husband. The Lord has, for Reuben, the Lord has looked at my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. Then she bore another son. She called his name Simeon. She conceived again and bore a son. Now, this time, my husband will become attached to me because I've borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. Time after time, each one of these names, it was all about her husband. But then, this last one, she bore a son, and she says, now I will praise the Lord. Now I'll praise the Lord. And she called his name Judah. Judah means to praise. Verse, chapter 30, verse 1. Now when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob, give me children or else I die. And Jacob's anger was aroused against Rachel and he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Jacob didn't want Leah 
He wanted Rachel. Jacob, he had this idea in his head. Like when he saw Rachel, he could see his whole life before his eyes. And he said, this is it. This is the one. And he he saw Leah and and he's like, that's great. I'll I'll never talk to her. Like, you know, she's going to be my sister, my, my wife's sister. You know, we'll see each other at family reunions. That's it. Sometimes when we are coming into a season of prayer and fasting, there's things that we're praying and we're fasting for and we're believing for. And there's things that we want and things that we desire, even things that we can see in our head. And we say, God, if you, if you just do this, if you just show up, if, if things will just look this way, if, if you'll just make this miracle happen, if you'll just, you know, if you'll just make this thing happen, this is what I want and this is what I need and this is what I want my life to look like. And then something completely opposite of everything you prayed for happens. And you're mad and you're angry and you feel like that bitterness rising up in you and you're just like, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. This isn't what I thought my life was going to look like. I've had so many moments like that in my own life where I was praying and I was believing for something and I was wanting something and I was desiring something. I said, this is what I want. And in every one of those moments, I, I look back on now and I can see that was a Rachel moment. This is what I wanted. This is what I desired. But instead, I got Leah. Some of you, your whole life, you just feel like it, he's never given you that Rachel moment. And I'm telling you, you're blessed because of it. Because it was always Leah. It was always Leah. Do you see what he did through the one that he did not desire? He brought about Levi and Judah. Do you know what Levi and Judah represent of the 12 tribes of Israel? Levi is the priesthood. God chose Leah to give birth to the priesthood. And she gave birth to Judah. Do you know who Judah is? Revelation 5.5. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. She gave birth to the priesthood and the lion of Judah, Jesus Christ. You can't stop what God chooses. So embrace it and trust him. When you don't get the Rachel, that moment that you've been praying for, that person you've been praying for, that thing or whatever it is you've been desiring and believing for, and all you get is Leah in front of you, I'm telling you, praise him for it. That's what she finally did. Finally, her last son, she named Judah, and she praised God. She let go of everything she'd been holding on to, everything she'd been desiring, and she just said, I'm going to praise God because he's good and he's worthy. And so no matter what season you are, if you're planted in God's house, it's a good season. Whether it's a Rachel season or a Leah season, it's fruitful. God still does great things through Rachel. She gives birth to Joseph, and God uses Joseph for miraculous and amazing things. But the thing, the person that Jacob never wanted in Leah, she was the most fruitful person in his life. Miracles were born out of her womb. They end up leaving and going back home. Him and his wives and their kids. And later on, we see in Genesis 35, verse 16, they're traveling again, this family. And they journeyed from Bethel. And when there was but a little distance to go to Ephrath, Rachel labored in childbirth and she had a hard labor. Now it came to pass when she was in hard labor that the midwife said to her, do not fear, you will have this son also. And so it was as her soul was departing, for she died, that she called his name Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And Jacob set a pillar on her grave, which is the pillar of Rachel's grave to this day. 
Then Israel journeyed and pitched his tent beyond the Tower of Eder. Rachel ended up being buried on the side of the road. Genesis 49. Genesis 49, verse 29. You can stand up as we get ready to worship here. Then he charged them and he said to them, This is Jacob. This is Israel at the end. I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field of Ephron the Hittite as a possession for a burial place. It was a burial cave. Bury me there. There they buried Abraham and Sarah. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah. There I buried Leah. (laughs) It was Leah all along. (sighs) The field and the cave that is there were purchased from the sons of Heth. The thing he never wanted, the person he never wanted. There's so many of us here today, and we're feeling that right now. We're feeling that disappointment because we thought we were getting Rachel and we got Leah instead. I'm sure he was disappointed that first morning he woke up and he didn't see the woman that he had set his eyes on and he had cast his dreams upon and he had laid his future upon. But I'm telling you, God has something better and if you will walk with him through every season, if you'll stay planted in his house, there is blessing and fruitfulness and someday you'll find yourself looking back on all those moments and all those people that you thought that they were just Leah's, that they, you thought that they didn't matter, that they weren't relevant, that they were background characters, and you'll see now what he did with those moments and those people in your life, and you're going to praise him for him. In fact, right now, we're going to praise him for all the Leah's. We're going to praise him for all those moments and all those people that we disregarded and we thought nothing of, we thought lightly of, and we're going to praise him for the fruitfulness that he's bringing about through those moments. When he didn't answer our prayer the way we desired or the way we wanted, we're going to praise him for it because he knew better. He had something better. It was Leah all along. 